Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Josh and our students. And I tell you, it warms my heart as your pastor to be surrounded by the next generation in prayer uh, leading up to bringing God's Word. Uh, You know, we are a multi-generational church that leans heavily into the next generation, as every church should, or as we oftentimes say around Crossgate, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. So would you take your copy of God's Word, please, and find Matthew chapter 9 in the New Testament? Matthew chapter 9, as we continue our teaching series entitled Meeting Jesus at the Crossroads of Life, because that's exactly where Jesus meets everybody, is it not? He meets you right where you are, No matter what's going on in your life, he wants to meet with you and meet you at the crossroads of your life. So today we're going to take a look at a man named Matthew, how he met Jesus at the crossroads of his life, Matthew the tax collector, and we find his story in Matthew chapter 9. I want to remind you that there are two things that are undergirding every message in this series, however, before we get into the scripture. Uh, The first of which is this, something that Pastor Josh hit on in his prayer, Jesus meets people right where they are. Uh, We don't have to somehow improve our moral state in life on our own before we can meet Jesus. Uh, You don't have to clean yourself up in order to meet Jesus. Jesus meets you right where you are. But here's the other thing. Jesus can do more in your life in a moment than anybody can manufacture in a lifetime. I've found that to be true in my life when I met Jesus Christ almost 33 years ago, and so many of you know the same thing. Jesus did more in your life in a moment than anyone could, could possibly manufacture in a lifetime. And those are two things that we need, always need to, 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 to dial in on as we get into the messages in this series. Now, let's start reading in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, and now they're at a dinner party shortly thereafter, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's two assumptions that we need to be reminded of as we get into this message that are so true. Anytime Jesus interacts with anybody, okay, when Jesus calls anybody to himself, two things are true. First of which is this, okay, Jesus gives a gospel call. All right, let's not take that for granted. Jesus gives a gospel call. You say, Pastor Phil, what is the gospel anyway? Well, What's the question we always ask at Crossgate Church? What does the Bible say? Right, well, here's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul the Apostle said this, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, that's the gospel. And Jesus always gives a gospel call. You say, well, what exactly is he calling us to? 
All right, well, let's, again, let's see what Jesus actually said from his own lips to our ears. Mark chapter 1, look at this. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, there's three things here. Repent, believe in the gospel, and follow me. There you go. That's, that's Jesus' call to you. That's Jesus' call to me. That's Jesus' call to every man and woman, boy and girl in this world today. Repent, believe, and follow me. Now that said, let's get into our message, but here's the second assumption. Okay, the first assumption when Jesus gives a, a gospel call, the second assumption is this, Jesus loves you. Is it okay if we just simply say that? That's as simple as we can put it. Jesus loves you, and here's the way we know it. Watch this. Jesus loves you so much, he's willing to meet you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Right? That's a powerful message for people in this world today. Jesus loves you so much, he's willing to meet you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Now let's think about what's going on in Matthew chapter 9. First of all, we see that Jesus calls us to forsake. That's our first thing we're going to talk about this morning. All right, Jesus calls us to forsake. Now he came to Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector, I'm telling you, was the most hated man in Capernaum. Other places in the Gospels, we know that he lived in a small city called Capernaum. You say, well, Pastor Phil, why was he the most hated man in Capernaum? Well, because Matthew was a tax collector. Now, I know nobody here enjoys paying taxes, right? We, nobody enjoys paying taxes. I certainly don't. I know you don't either. But it wasn't just that Matthew was an IRS employee, right? It was the fact that he was a tax collector. By the way, speaking of taxes, since we are getting into tax season, uh, did you hear about the latest streamlined tax form that the IRS just released? Very simplified, only has two lines to it. First line, what did you make last year? Second line, send it. And uh, sometimes I feel like that's how the IRS treats me and my family. But that said, Matthew was not just an IRS employee. He was a tax collector, the most hated man in town. Here's the backstory for Matthew. Matthew was kind of a... Um, he kind of bought into a Roman franchise of tax collecting. The Romans were all about collecting taxes from the people. But here's the cool thing, at least for Matthew, as far as he's concerned. The Romans said, look, we're going to provide you some military backup to make sure that you are collecting taxes from your fellow Jews. And oh, by the way, you can keep anything above and beyond what you owe us. You talk about incentivizing sin. So Matthew basically, at the point of a Roman sword, was able to shake down his fellow Jews, and he made a, a very hefty profit in the process, taking advantage of others to line his own pockets with money. Uh, that, that was the reason why Matthew was the most hated man in town. He was probably also one of the most wealthy men in town, and they did not like Matthew. That's why tax collectors and sinners, as you see in the Bible, are always lumped together, tax collectors and sinners. Right? And, and here's, the, here's the bottom line. For Matthew, the impacts were this. He, he, he wasn't invited to go to synagogue. He wasn't even allowed to be a witness in a court of law because he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were listed with people like thieves and robbers and murderers and unclean animals from the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, many of the rabbis even said, God will never forgive a tax collector. Right? That's, that's what he was dealing with. Now, into the midst of that, Jesus said, 
forsake your sin and repent. You say, well, it doesn't say that in Matthew 9. How do you know that? It's because that was always a part of Jesus' messaging, whether it's implied or explicitly stated. For example, Mark chapter 1, we already saw this. Jesus said, repent. It doesn't get any plainer than that. But look at this from Luke 13. Again, hard words from the Savior. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all perish. You say, Pastor Phil, what does the word repent mean anyway? I'm not really sure that I understand what that means. Well, the word that's translated repent, uh, it, technically it means to change your mind about something. Uh, but but in, in a very plain sense, what it means is to turn. You're turning away from one thing and turning to something else. So let, let, me, let me give it to you on a, on a street level explanation. So I've lived in Hot Springs, Arkansas long enough to know that there are some wonky traffic patterns in Hot Springs, especially downtown. Isn't that true? I mean, there, there's some times you're driving downtown Hot Springs and you go to turn on a street only to find out it's a one-way street that's placed in the strangest of all locations, and now you're going down a one-way street the wrong way, right? Well, what do you do when you find yourself in a situation like that? What are you going to do? You're going to turn around. Yes, of course, you're going to turn around and, and head the right direction. Well, that's exactly what Jesus was calling Matthew to do when he called him to forsake. That's the same thing Jesus calls us to do, to forsake our sin, right? To forsake our sin, turn away from our sin. Now, I don't want to take it for granted that Matthew did indeed turn away from his sin or that it was just some easy thing that he did because I want you to think about this. I mean, this is just fake money. But imagine Matthew, the tax collector, looking at all of this money that he had and then looking at Jesus. And he looks at the money and he looks at Jesus. And then he does something like this. He turns from his sin and he follows Jesus. Let's not take that for granted. That was a big step for Matthew to take, to forsake his sin. By the way, he didn't just forsake that, he, he turned from everything. That's what the Bible says. The parallel passage in, in the Gospel of Luke says this. It says this in Luke chapter 5. Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi, Levi, Matthew, synonymous for the same person, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And this is what Luke says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him, following Jesus. You know, that's still Jesus' call to this day, is it not? Jesus calls to men and women and boys and girls to turn from their sin and, and, and to follow him. So many of you have done that here. There was a time in your life, a very specific time in your life, when by faith you said, Jesus, I'm turning from my sin, I'm turning to you. And listen, it wasn't that Jesus made you perfect or that you're perfect now. But because of Jesus Christ inside of you, there is a desire to please him and to live for him. See, when you get saved, when you trust Jesus Christ, God gives you a new wanter. You no longer want this like you used to. Now you want Jesus Christ. That, that's repentance, and, and, and that's forsaking. Perhaps you're here today. You've never personally trusted Jesus Christ. As doubtless, we have several people in attendance this morning who have never been saved. You, you, you may have had an experience years ago, but if you look at your life, you realize, you know, I never truly have turned from my sin. We had a few men saved at Elevate last weekend. I'm praying we have some ladies saved at Elevate this weekend who said, well, I need to get this settled. And by faith, drawing a line in the sand and stepping over that line and going all in for Jesus Christ and forsaking the sin that so easily entangled them before. Right? Jesus calls us to 
forsake. But Jesus also calls us to faith. Jesus also calls us to faith. Now, this is something that Jesus is calling everyone to do, to believe in him, to trust in him, to put their faith in him. Again, so many of you have done that here. But Jesus' call to faith echoes throughout the ages. And I want you to think about this. How do we receive Jesus? By faith. John chapter 1 and verse 12, look at this. To as many as received him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. We receive Jesus by faith, not by working our way toward Jesus or or by somehow uh, doing enough good deeds or, or, or attending church or anything. We receive Jesus Christ personally by faith. We also receive salvation by faith. Romans chapter 10, very famous passage from the Bible. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We receive salvation by faith. We also receive assurance by faith. 1 John chapter 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So many times I ask you that question here at Crossgate Church. Do you know with absolute certainty that if you die today, you'd immediately be in heaven with Christ? That's called assurance. It's not I think so or I hope so or maybe so. It's I know so. Pastor, I know that if I died today, I will immediately be in heaven. That's assurance. How do you have assurance? By faith. But now here's something you need to consider. It's not so much the faith that we have as it is the object of that faith. Right? I mean, that's important. It's an important distinction to make. Because, for example, we'll hear someone say something like, that guy over there, boy, he is a man of great faith. Or that lady over there, I really admire her. She's a woman of great faith. Well, it's important to have a lot of faith, but let me tell you something. It's not so much that we have great faith in God, but that we have faith in a great God. It's the object of our faith that matters. For example, just last week, uh, we saw Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, In Numbers 21, uh, Jesus directs his attention to the story of the bronze serpent put on the pole, lifted up, and the message that Moses gave to them was, look and live. Look and live. And that's the message that Jesus has for us today as well. Look to Jesus and live. Look to Jesus and live. That's the object, right? I mean, we could put a brand new sports car out in the parking lot and stand around and look at that sports car all day and say, I've got faith in the sports car that it'll go 300 miles an hour, but it doesn't matter if it's the wrong object. Case in point. So when I was in the Army, I spent a lot of time overseas. Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, rinse and repeat again and again and again. I think I spent, all told, I think I spent about four years away from my wife overseas. Out of 16 years in the Army, four years total away from my wife. And of course, I wasn't the only one. There was a lot of soldiers overseas who spent a lot of time away from their wives. But here's something I noticed. Depending on the wife that you're married to, your results would vary and mileage would vary when you're overseas. Because sadly, there were some wives who were unfaithful to their husbands, some wives who cleaned their husbands' bank accounts out, some wives who went off the rails, morally or or, or whatever, back home. 
and no matter how much faith and no matter how much trust that soldier had in his wife, it wouldn't really make any difference if she was unworthy. Now, on the other hand, I had a different experience. Praise God, by God's grace. I, listen, I never, in all of those years that I was gone, I never once for a, for a millisecond even had to think about whether my wife was going to be faithful to me or not. I, I didn't have to think for even a, a millisecond whether my wife was going to carelessly clean out the bank account or go off the rails in some other way. Now, was that because I had a great faith in my wife? No, it's because I married a great wife. Praise God. Right? The object makes all the difference. And, and the same Jesus who calls us to faith is not the one who says, you need to have a great faith in me, but have faith in the fact that I am a great Savior. And he is. That's a good place for an amen. Right? He's a great Savior, worthy of our belief and trust and, and confidence in all things. He calls us to faith. But he also calls us to follow. Jesus calls us to follow. Now again, this is explicitly stated. Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, and, and Matthew followed Jesus. Here's something I've shared with you before, and I need to say it again. Following beats believing every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yes, we have to believe, theologically, we need to believe the right things about Jesus. But if, if we have all of the right things in, in order and all of our ducks in a row theologically, but we're not actually following it with our lives, well, what do we really have, right? I mean, what do we really have? That, by the way, this is one of the reasons why I've told you many times that here in Garland County, we are fighting an uphill battle against the, what I call the Garland County Assumption. The Garland County. You know what I mean when I say the Garland County Assumption? Oh, everybody's saved in Garland County. I've had people tell me that. Yeah, everybody's a Christian in Garland County. No, they're not. No, they're not. Just because someone calls themselves a Christian, or even if they grew up going to church, or maybe they prayed a prayer at a young age, or, or whatever, listen, there's, there's plenty of cultural Christianity in Garland County and many other places as well where people say, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian. I talked to a guy two weeks ago. Was, was witnessing to this guy and, and, and sharing my faith with him. And he said, well, you know, I, I go to my grandma's church every now and again. And, and uh, you know, I, just, I like to go back to the old church and, and visit a few times a year. And, 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 I, you know, and then he started talking about all these other things going on in his life. And, and uh, you know, he likes to go out and go fishing and hunting on Sunday mornings and all these other things. And, and just his, his, let's just say his audio and his video weren't matching up because on the one hand he said, oh, I'm saved. Oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm saved. But it was like, where's, where's the life, bro? Where, where, where's, where's the life that backs it up? That, see, that's the Garland County assumption. Everybody's saved in Garland County. No, they're not. Let me ask you this question. What does a follower of Jesus actually look like? Looks like Jesus, right? That's what Jesus said. Look at this. Matthew chapter 10. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And Paul the Apostle said this. I love this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He, that's Jesus, died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now look, this is one of the reasons why we have a, a clearly defined definition of a disciple. I'd say less than 5% of all churches have taken the time to clearly define what a disciple is. But here's the problem. 
We hear people talk about making disciples all the time, and discipleship and, and being a disciple-making church, but if, if you haven't actually defined your target, then you're not going to hit anything, right? Now, I've shared this with you many times, and I'm going to give you a digital cheat card. Okay, so relax. This is not a test, but how about we just say this together? At Crossgate Church, a disciple is a growing follower of Jesus who lives and loves like Jesus and leads others to follow him. That's our target. That's what we're shooting for. That's what I want to be, and I'm praying that that's what you want to be as well, right? To, to be a growing follower of Jesus, not a stagnant believer, but a growing follower who lives and loves like Jesus, who's becoming more and more like the Savior as we walk with him, and who has a passionate intentionality in leading others to follow him. Now, if that's not true of you, then I'm reminded of the words of uh, Pastor Cam Huxford from Savannah Christian Church in Savannah, Georgia, who said this, if there's no fruit in keeping with repentance in your life, you might not be a believer, you might be a make-believer, right? You're just kidding yourself. If you're not truly following Jesus, whatever experience you had 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, if you're not following Jesus today, you might not have gotten the right thing. You say, Pastor Phil, what does this have to do with Matthew? Man, it's got everything to do with Matthew. Matthew didn't just talk a good talk. He literally walked. He walked away from all of this to follow Jesus. It wasn't just what he turned away from, but what he turned to. And, that, and that's Jesus Christ. Because without following, what do you really have? You know, I think it was Bill Hull. Well, it was Bill Hull who wrote the classic book, The Discipleship Gospel. He said this, The most crucial element of the discipleship gospel is the imperative call to follow Jesus. The non-discipleship gospels being preached today do not include following Jesus at all, not one of them. As soon as following Jesus becomes an optional add-on to the gospel, it's a death sentence for disciple-making. So at Crossgate Church, we are all about calling people to follow Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. Would you call yourself a believer, or would you call yourself a follower? Right? Do you believe the right things about Jesus, but maybe your life doesn't line up with that? Or are you actually following Jesus in what Pastor Eugene Peterson said was a long obedience in the same direction? Jesus calls us to follow. By the way, the fact that Jesus even came to Matthew and said, follow me, speaks volumes about the love of God and the opportunity for forgiveness. It's an incredible thing, but it even gets better. Wait, there's more. It's like an infomercial. Wait, there's more. Jesus calls us to friendship. He calls us to friendship. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 9 and remind ourselves about the after party, right? I mean, here we have the scene at the tax booth, and then there's the after party, presumably at Matthew's house, where all of these tax collectors and sinners are gathered around Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen to this. Then Jesus reclined at table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Here they come again, the Pharisees. We saw them last week, we see them again this week. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So again, here come the Pharisees, sharpshooting Jesus, just like they did last week. 
They're calling them all kinds of names. You're a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's exactly what they said. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus quoting these people. Jesus said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that Jesus is a friend of sinners, amen? Because otherwise he wouldn't be a friend of mine. He wouldn't want to have anything to do with me, and he most certainly wouldn't want to have anything to do with you. But Jesus Christ is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now fast forward just a few years to the upper room. Jesus Christ is gathered with his disciples, and he's going to be betrayed and crucified within hours. And he says this in John chapter 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And here's Matthew, hearing Jesus. The most hated man in town is now seated with Jesus, sharing a meal with him. And Jesus says, you're my friend. Speaks of God's goodness and kindness, doesn't it? You know, the Bible says that it's God's goodness and kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not as if Jesus came over to that tax table and banged on it and said, you better get right, Matthew, or you're going to burn. Rather, it was his goodness and kindness that led Matthew to repentance, to forsake his sin, to place his faith in Jesus, to follow Jesus the rest of his life, and for Jesus to be his friend. You know, friends, as I look at this, this little display here, this money and so forth on this table, I think about what some people have told me over the years. Soldiers in the military, people on the street, people in churches. They said, Phil, if you only knew what, what I had done, you would not be talking to me about forgiveness. You would not be talking to me about Jesus. J Jesus could not possibly forgive me. He couldn't. There's no way. And then maybe they'll share something like, you know, a sexual addiction or substance abuse or crime, violent crime sometimes, or, or other things that are almost unspeakable. I say, well... All I know is what I know. And in the Bible, it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what makes this possible. Laying it down, turning to Jesus, and receiving forgiveness, mercy, peace, you know, last week we, we said that Nicodemus heard the simplicity of the gospel and he probably said to Jesus, is it really that simple? Is, is it really that simple? And this week I could hear Matthew saying, Jesus, you can't forgive me. These people have told me all my time as a tax collector, God would never forgive me. And Jesus just held out his hand. And Matthew knew the power of the love of God. That's why I told you at the beginning of this message, Jesus loves you so much. Let's put that back up there. Jesus loves you so much.
he's willing to meet you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. We heard some tremendous testimonies last week at Men's Elevate, specifically a couple men just getting it settled, turning from their sin, no matter what it was, and turning to Jesus Christ. I pray we're seeing the same things happening right now, even as I speak out at Women's Elevate. Uh, ladies turning from their sin, getting their salvation settled with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question, friend. Has there been a time in your life when you've gotten that salvation settled, when you've, when you've received the forgiveness of your sins? I don't care what they are. God doesn't care. I mean, we're all sinners. We've all shall, fallen short of the glory of God. But has there been a time when you have personally trusted Christ for your salvation, receiving Jesus by faith, receiving that assurance, saying, Jesus, yes, I know now, now I know that if I was to die today, I've got Jesus Christ and I'm going to heaven. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.